Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this. And I like when he sets it up like this so that we might know exactly what the Lord has for us to rejoice, glory, and praise in. Here's what he says. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, specifically that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. That's where we'll pause and bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that even in the days when these words were written, when you spoke these words to this man of God, Lord, I thank you that these words still ring true for us today. Father, you are working, you are exercising these things in our lives, in our world, Father, globally even. In these times that seem difficult and tumultuous, Father, for whatever reasons might be presented, Lord, we trust that you are always working according to your perfect will, led by righteousness. And I thank you, Lord, for this assurance. Help us to be assured by that, Father. Help us to take this truth, live it, apply it, and grow in it, I pray. Bless us this morning, Father. Bless this time of fellowship, I pray, around your word. Bless us by it, I ask, and be honored, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You know, I've said before, I've said in times past, I've said a number of different times, that I do believe that it's part of my job as pastor of this assembly uh, to be informed to a measure regarding current events. I think that I'm well supposed to look at those things and specifically, specifically as they apply to our assembly, to my respective walk, to to God's people and how he's working in those things. Now, when I say I need to be informed to a measure, uh, I do mean that wholeheartedly. But God does work in such events. God does take these things that take place in this world. He uses them to teach us, to build our faith, to strengthen our faith, to correct us sometimes, to encourage us at other times. Uh, That being said, while I am, I believe, To be informed to a measure regarding current events, I will hold fast to my firm conviction for myself and for all of God's people that we're not to be enslaved to the news. We're not intended to be completely enwrapped in those things and moved and shifted this way and that. I don't think it's too difficult to find in Scripture the assurance that that is not for us to do. Uh, Mark Twain, I know Denzel Washington actually was attributed to this quote, but it's actually Mark Twain, I believe, when he said, if you don't read the news, then you're uninformed. If you do read the news, then you're misinformed. You know, there's, there's truth to that, right? There's truth to that because you have to understand <laughs> That an objective position, an objective news source, it's all but extinct these days. You're not going to find it. It's always going to be slanted one way or the other. So you have to work hard to find and look and read between the lines and that, that sort of thing. There's no objectivity in journalism. Now, that being said, and I don't always, there are times when I will preach to the news, and, but I try not to do such things. But there are times when 
well, it is what it is. And you flip on the TV just now, and it doesn't matter if it's you know, a resurgence of COVID, which has a lot of people up in arms and in, in fear uh, running about, uh, or whether it's this, all these things that we're seeing happening over in Israel. There are a lot of things going on just now that seem moving, seem stirring, uh, seem to, well, want to shift our, well, just our status quo, our quiet and peaceable lives, I guess. If you spend time in the news or opening, you know, turning on whatever, then it doesn't take a whole lot of time to find things that are troubling. Now, I don't go looking for the shocking and I don't go looking for the sensational. There was a time when I was younger that, I, you know, I wanted to see the, I mean, I want to get down in the details and I want to see the video of the actual stuff that's happening. Man, I don't look for the atrocious things because I know the capabilities of mankind. I've seen the, atroci- the atrocities that can take place. I've seen all, not all, but some of the different ways that mankind looks to injure one another. And I've seen enough of that garbage. But it takes very little time, again, to see some of these things that are flashing across the news screen or the phone or whatever the case might be, where you see that atrocious things are taking place. And I'll be honest with you, the man in me is moved by those things. Uh, Not even looking at it necessarily from the spiritual side of things, from the understanding of who Israel is, what they're promised by God, what they have been given by God, all of those things. I'm just looking completely objectively at what has taken place and the images that you see. And it can, man, it can stir you, right? It can move you. Uh, Mankind has never had any problem in finding horrifying ways to harm one another and display it for other people to see. That being said, it's not uncommon for different people, believer and not unbeliever, to say a situation, to look at it and see atrocious things taking place, whether it's a war zone or any other thing, and say, where is God in this? Where is God? Uh, What's he doing in this? Does he see this? And I think that it's Fair, let me finish. I think it's fair to ask that from time to time if you do it from the appropriate perspective. I'm not going to turn there. But you'll remember when Elisha, when Elijah was taken from his from from Elisha, Elisha saw it, he was taken up and he was gone, and the mantle literally fell onto him. And he had crossed over it with Elijah by Elijah's power, so to speak, across the the, the Jordan River crossed over across dry land. Now he comes back and this Jordan River is there. It's come back. It's wet. It's flowing. It is what it is. And Elisha took that mantle and struck the water. And he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I read that as him saying, are you here for me as you were for him? I don't think that he was incredulous. I don't think that he was questioning and thinking that God had abandoned him or anything, but I think that he needed assurance. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the Jordan parted. And the Lord let him know that he was there. I think it's okay at times, in the right way, from the humble heart, in the appropriate manner, and certainly not with any kind of accusation, it's okay to ask the Lord where he is. Do you see this, Lord? 
uh, provided that you're willing to listen and hear when he reminds you where he is. And I hope that you'll be reminded this morning. It's good to be reminded that God is seeing things quite clearly, that God's hand is in things, that God is fully aware of all situations, all the details. He has all of the objective intel, nothing subjective on his part. He's not moved by different people's perspectives, different people's opinions. He's not moved by the threat of being doxxed or canceled or anything of that sort. He's not moved by those things. He has a plan with objectives and goals in mind, and he will see to those things, and I trust him for that. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, if you flip the page in your Bible from our text passage there, Jeremiah acknowledged the need that man has for God's plan. In 10.23, he says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. He won't find it for himself, at least not anything godly and right. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And so we trust the Lord to direct the steps of not just ourselves, but those ones who don't necessarily want him to direct them. We trust him to direct things as he wants to. Because his plan is a godly one, his plan is a perfect one, his plan is a holy and a righteous one. And man, I'm anything but those things if I'm left in my flesh to determine my own plan. So, I trust him that his plan is fully in swing, in full swing now, as it was then, when Jeremiah wrote these things, that God is exercising. Exercising means accomplishing, or making, or even doing, making these things. He is the Lord, exercising loving kindness, exercising judgment, and exercising righteousness in the earth. Even at this very moment, even, even in the presence of our enemies... Even in the presence of those ones who would oppose us, even in the presence of absolute atrocity, atrociousness, and harm from one to another. We're intended to understand this, he says. To understand and know that he is the Lord doing this. And not only that, we're called to glory in it. Glory, if you look in the Hebrew, that's that word halal, which is half of the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. We're given to praise in this. We're intended to praise that he is exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. So let's be reminded this morning, perhaps you're not troubled at all by anything, you know. There is a certain measure of bliss to ignorance, and I don't mean that as, as an insult. I know lots of people say, I don't watch the news. I don't do this. I don't, I don't want to get moved by this stuff. And I agree that there's a measure of Well, there's peace that comes oftentimes, blissful ignorance if you don't see what's going on. But sometimes it is, as I said, brought front and center and right before you. And if you're not moved by it, well, then there will come a time that you are moved by something. And you can believe that in that time that the Lord is exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. So let's be encouraged this morning, I trust, uh, as we open up our hearts to the Lord and what he has for us. Now... In our verse, in verse 24, it says, Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness. Let's just begin there. Uh, I was thinking as as we just sang, I'll fly away. That's the first special that I ever sang with my family. And when I say it was the first, my dad's played guitar since he was just a little kid. So we, we sang that special very young. It was, I think, before I could read because they made me memorize the words. I can sing it without looking up at the, without looking up at the words. Uh, they made me memorize it. I remember I was standing here, and Missy was standing here, and I don't think Janelle was even up there. And when I say here and here, I mean respectively on Rinker Road. 
we were singing that. And so I, it joyed my heart to sit there and think, <laughs> man, I, I get so tired of the choking up stuff, but yeah, you'll deal with me. I, I'm so blessed to know that I have known that I'll fly away for 40-some years. <laughs> Grateful for it. I've known the Lord's loving kindness for decades Decades I've been familiar with it. Decades I've been the receiver of it. Decades I've been the witness of his loving kindness. Not Well, decades, I suppose, before I even took this position, I preached about the loving kindness of God. It's one of my favorite things to speak on. I, it's easy for me to speak about, about the love of God. It's so abundant. It's so evident. It's so plain. Uh, I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, just because I think we actually did speak on it here recently. But this word loving kindness, it's actually a Hebrew word that's chesed. <laughs> and I'll never pronounce it as well as Brother uh, Orville Freestone. He must have said it 40 times in one lesson one time during a camp lesson. And I always admired how he was able to <laughs> strike that H, that chesed word. But there it is. And it means mercy, it means steadfastness, it means an enduring love. We would translate it grace in our understanding in this, in this church age. Uh, it's a word that carries not just love. I have in my notes love plus. It means that it's a love that is exacerbated or enhanced or paired up with something that would, would further, um, uh, further describe that love. Deep love. Uh, it, it, just consider love compounded with depth or endurance or vastness or broadness. It's an expansive word. It's, it's really a remarkable word, actually. Um, and it's deep. It really is. It's loving kindness. It can't be just described with just love alone. Uh, it's used over 240 times in the Old Testament. That part of the Bible where all we see is this big, hateful God, this judgmental... So, 240 times we see him speak and being spoken of in regards to his loving kindness. Uh, in Psalm 136, <clears throat> which is one of my favorite psalms just because it's, well, it could be irritatingly repetitive if you allowed it to be. Uh, you can turn over to Psalm 136 if you want. But the first verse goes like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. There are 26 verses in that psalm. And 26 times it says those words, His mercy endures forever. That word mercy is that word chesed. Uh, and it's there 26 times alone just in this, uh, in this psalm. It is who He is. It's what He does. It is who, what His embodiment is. God is mercy. God is loving kindness. He is patience. He is sympathy and all of these things wrapped up. And, and taking love and expounding love to this measure. That's what he delights in, he tells us there. He loves to love. Eh? And that's not just trite garbage talk. God loves to love. It's who he is. First John 4 helps us to understand that it is what defines him. We sing that song. Beloved, let us love one another. I'm not going to sing any further than that. We'll pick up in the second half of that verse. First John 4, 7 and... 8 through 10. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. This is the definition of it. Not that we love God. Man, it's something that 
Well, Scotty was talking this morning about how we need to be able to be prepared to give a defense, to be ready to speak. And we, there's no shame in being ready to say, I love the Lord. Man, I love Jesus. There's no shame in that. But do not for one minute think that that is the epitome and the extent of love, is that I love Him. No, it's that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The fact that I love the Lord Jesus, first off, I don't love Him to the measure that I should. I don't love Him to the measure that I could, but I don't... Thankfully, He'll finish that love for me. He'll finish it in that day when I'm before Him. He will finish that love. And I will love Him to the measure that He is worthy of. But not yet. Not yet. Now the Lord makes up for that lack. He is completely the, well, He is the epitome and the embodiment of love as He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John 4 and verse 16 says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. I trust that's true for you as well. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. Before he died, my grandpa, uh, Grandpa Jimmy, made sure that all of us grandkids got these little buttons. You might remember them. Little white buttons that had a pin on the back. I must have stabbed myself with it a million times. But I loved it anyway. In black words, kind of in this sweet font, it said, God is love. Do you remember those things? God is love. I had that for a good long time. We sang... We sang before bed when I was a kid. Jesus loves me. I've known this. Known it. We sang with my kids. Jesus loves me. This I know. Uh, John 3.16. And the Lord has not... Uh, he's not hesitated to let me know what His love is. And I trust He hasn't... Well, that you recognize that He hasn't hesitated to let you know that He is indeed love. Abundantly offered to everyone. Abundantly offered to anybody. It's simple to receive, and he delights in loving kindness. He delights in making and exercising and providing and offering and building loving kindness in this life even now. How can we not glory in that? How can we not halal in that? How can we not praise the Lord because of his love that is so abundant? I'm grateful for it. I could go on and on. As you can tell, it's something that moves me, and I'm passionate about the love of the Lord God. But that's not the main focus this morning. I want you to understand that he is all loving kindness. I want you to understand that he is exercising that. But there's more than just loving kindness. There's more than just grace and mercy that he delights in. And so our verse continues. Verse 24 of Jeremiah 9, it says, I am the Lord exercising loving kindness. Thank the Lord. But also exercising judgment. (laughs) Consider that truth this morning, child of God is that the Lord delights in exercising judgment. And I'm going to tell you, and I, I hate to bring it back to this after I was feeling pretty good about the love of God, there are things, and again, I'm, I, I'm not interested in sensationalizing and shock value and all of those things, but honestly, without even looking for that, I saw some pictures and some videos pass by just on the cover of front of the news, and it made me sick to my stomach to see what was going on in different places in the world right now. And when I see that deliberate hurt, that deliberate harm, and the lack of any contrition, any kind of remorse, any kind of repentance, but in fact it goes the opposite direction. There's absolute brag, boastfulness, a complete 
celebration of the harm that ones are willing to cause, not just soldiers, not just those ones who are dedicated to be, appointed to be your enemy and that sort of thing, but the innocent on a natural level, just the innocent. Man, I see those things, and I'm a pretty... I've already shed a couple tears this morning already. I'm a pretty tender guy, I think. A pretty light-hearted kind of guy when it comes down to certain things, just a natural kind of, you know, that kind of person that I am. I'm quick to hug, quick to high-five and that sort of thing. I want judgment when I see those things. That's me speaking from my flesh. I want to make that plain. Man, I want judgment. I want punishment. I'm a bit ashamed when I say that. To a certain measure. I want a reckoning for those things. And this is what I mean when I say I want a reckoning. And it's not just the news today, saints. It's when I hear of different ones doing different things in their own homes. And news plasters it all over and tells you every detail that you never wanted to know about it. It's, it's, it's when I've been inside of homes in the old days. Sometimes I thank the Lord that that's not my calling anymore. Being inside of the homes and being privy to the aftermath of something that took place that was just horrifying, atrocious, intentional on the part of different people. Uh, I wanted punishment for that. I wanted a reckoning on this side, on this side of glory. You understand what I'm saying? I wanted to see there has to be payment for this. There has to be a restitution made for this. I wanted vengeance, I guess you could say. One Hebrew word for that kind of judgment is this word sepet. And it means a sentence, an inflicted punishment. I want punishment for that sort of thing. My flesh wants punishment when I see people harming one another. We see this kind of judgment in Exodus chapter 12. When Egypt held God's people against their will, held them in oppression, well, and the Lord demonstrated this judgment. He is uh, the executor of this. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12, this is, well, after those first nine plagues. I will pass through the land of Egypt, God said, on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. What did the beast have to do with the oppression of Israel? They didn't determine to do anything. This was a substantial judgment, a substantial punishment that the Lord was putting on this people and those that they were given to touch. I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, sepit judgment. I am the Lord. Proverbs 19.29 uses that same term when it says judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. There is a very punitive element to this word sepit, this measure of judgment that the Lord does take part in. The Lord, we can take you to Revelation 19, 20 and any number of other places where it demonstrates and tells us what judgment is awaiting those ones who reject him, those ones who side with his enemy, those ones who say, I don't want this Jesus stuff. I'm not interested in that. And then go on and do their own thing. There is an understanding that when you reject the gift that is the blood of Jesus, the loving kindness of Jesus that there will be a punishment that takes place. There will be judgment that takes place. 
That's what this word sepit is. And it, it, you know, well, you tell me. <laughs> when you first heard the story of Samson, you know, I talk about, he, he, I have a vast memory, a vast memory of Sister Mary and Sister Barbara Otto and Sister Edith Stokes and all these ones going through these through these Bible stories and teaching me these things. And I remember some of those times when I heard them for the first time. The first time I heard Samson, man, you know. <laughs> you know when I was, that I remember hearing it, six, seven years old, and the big brute, you know, long hair, and there was power there, and he was doing all these things for the Lord and defeating the Philistines. Man, that, that spoke to me, man. I mean, I was all about Samson. And so when they captured him, when that rat fink Delilah cut his hair, I mean, cut his hair, and then he was weak. I mean, I believe I shed a tear in my Sunday school class. When I first heard that Samson was made weak, I mean, that was, <laughs> that was devastating to me, man. Devastating. Then he's taken, you know, there go his eyes, and he was put to grind in the mill. And then they had the audacity of, man, it hit me in the fields. They had the audacity to take this one. And the whole place filled 3,000, I believe, if my memory serves. And here's Samson, come, let's make sport of him. What does that mean, Sister Mary? It means they made fun of him. Have you ever been made fun of? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I've been made fun of. (laughs) Man, it hit me. And when they put out his eyes... Man, I wanted restitution. I wanted punishment for those ones. And when he put his hands on those pillars, and he pushed with his strength, blew out those pillars and brought that whole house down. Oh, even my little seven, eight-year-old heart made me celebrate it a little bit. Right? Yes! <laughs> victory. And he scored a greater victory in his death than he did in his life. And... The Lord was involved in that. There was judgment, separate judgment involved in that. Listen, man, Absalom took David and ousted him from his throne. And then he got up there in front of all that kingdom and got so lewd before them so as to defile himself and others as they watched him when his hair got hung up in the tree. And I heard that for the first time. I didn't shed any tears for Absalom. When he met with the end of a spear. Because I felt, it's right, man. There's recompense that takes place there. And God allowed for that judgment. It, it simply is what it is. Alright, 9-11 happened. Do you remember back in 2001? Seems like forever ago. 22 years, but it seems like yesterday. I wanted my pound of flesh. I was ready to go enlist, man. I was ready to do it. When you hear of some unthinkable thing on TV, some criminal thing, do you not think to yourself, I want judgment for them. I've heard different people, children of God say, let him fry, man. He needs to go. You can understand those things. There's a part of me that wants that sort of separate judgment for those who harm and injure today. And I won't deny that there is that measure of me that wants to see now restitution and, and the rightness that things made right when they are wrong on this side of glory. And the truth is, is that I delight that the Lord says that He delights in exercising judgment. But we need to understand that when he says, 
I delight in this. In Jeremiah 9.24, when he says, I am the Lord exercising loving kindness and judgment. It's not sepit. <laughs> it's not that type of judgment, you understand. It's mispot is what it is. Mispot is the word. It's a verdict. It's exercising a judgment, a determination based on evidence is what it is. A decision. He, he doesn't relish the thought of crushing people. He doesn't relish the thought of destroying people. He doesn't relish the thought of just exacting vengeance because this just needs to happen. This was so awful. I need to have an equal measure of awful on this side. He rejoices and he celebrates making a decision that is just, that is holy, that is righteous, that makes this no longer the foulness that it was, that deals with that. It's a determination based on evidence, based on Well, something that's seen, something that's weighed, something that's quantified, something that's identified as this is so. And because of this, there must be this. We can see that in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15. The thought that the Lord expresses there when he says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be unjust when you make your determinations, when you make your considerations. You shall not be partial to the poor, even to those ones who you might lean and feel Oof, just uh, yearning for them because they're, they're well, in a lesser place, in a more difficult place. You might want to just show a little more leniency. Don't you do it. Don't be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. It is factual. It is just. It's right. And that's what the word means. It means justice. That's what God's looking for. True justice. Don't honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Leviticus 19.35 says, You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. Don't fake five ounces being four ounces. Don't fake that this, this measure of produce, this two kilos of carrots is actually, well, one kilo, but you're getting paid for the two. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. A pound is a pound. An inch is an inch. Just... Make the measure and keep the measure exactly what it is. It is what it is. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, he told them in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. God's not interested in in having subjective judgment. He's not interested in subjective news. He doesn't put his opinion to make a little spin here so that you think more along this way or that way. He doesn't... He doesn't care what political party you are. He doesn't care if you listen to Newsmax, CNN, Fox News, whatever. Give me a break, man. There's nothing objective about that. The Lord is looking for objectivity. He wants it to be what it is. He delights in perfection that way. He delights in a holy standard. doesn't want dishonest scales, not to any measure. You shall not pervert justice, he says. You shall not show partiality nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. God delights in determining justly. It's what he does. And as sure as he is love, he is justice and righteousness and rightness. It is who he is. You hear about crimes of passion from time to time? Man, she scorned him. She did him dirty, stepped out on the relationship or whatever the case may be. Uh, So he went and took care of business. For the sake of the kids, I won't take it any farther than that. 
But he rendered his own measure of justice, took the law into his own hands. And you can say, well, I understand why he did it. You don't justify the means, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, you don't justify the actions, but you can understand why. You know, he was prompted. He was provoked. He didn't do wrong, or he did wrong as a result, but he was provoked. God doesn't do crimes of passion. He doesn't do that. He doesn't get so provoked that he says, oh, flying off the handle and kill, 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 kill. That's not what he does. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's just. <laughs> Who has been wronged more than God? <laughs> Who has been wronged more than God? Man, if, if my son dies for you, and you balk at him, and you mock his memory, and you say the sorts of things that I've heard different individuals say about Jesus, I'm going to want some sepit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I want some judgment in my flesh. No one has taken more Well, more assault than the Lord God himself. And he holds fast to who he is. What a God. What a God he is. Justifiable in completely rendering judgment upon everyone. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. God doesn't commit crimes of passion. He doesn't commit crimes of any kind. I read about about a judge here recently back in... I'm meaning I recently read about him. I think it was 1918 was when he was appointed to the second district of court of appeals in New York City. Back in the early 20th century, that was a pretty big deal because that seat influenced, well, it was New York City. So that seat influenced and impacted just about everything in the United States. Uh, and he, he oversaw and cast judgments over a number of things that we still, they still are seeing impacts of it today. I won't go into everything, but, you know, he made uh, decisions with the cigarette companies of the time, made decisions regarding movie studios and how those things, uh, how those films were made and what they could and couldn't do. He impacted agriculture and how things were grown, how they were sold, different types of trusts and that sort of thing. I won't go into all of that, but as it turns out, over the course of some 21 or 22 years, he took $17 million in bribes from each one of those different ones and completely wrote his decisions and made his decisions based on whoever filled his pocket. $17 million between 1918 and 1939. Do you know what $17 million was back in that day? That's a big wad of cash today. A hundred years ago, I mean, that was substantial money from these cigarette companies and movie studios and the like. Uh, well, they called him the merchant of justice. Give me, the, give me the cash, and I'll give you the justice that you desire. That's not our God. That's not our God. He doesn't take bribes. He looks at things and he says, this is what it is. Uh, I'm recognizing it for what it is, and I'm going to treat it as it is, and I will make my, my judgment based on that. Jeremiah wanted him to base judgment for him on that. He wanted that righteous just uh, judgment. We looked at that verse just a second ago in Jeremiah 10. If you flip back there, look at verse 23. When he says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not man who walks to direct his own steps. He goes on. And he says in verse 24, O Lord, correct me, but with justice, by your righteous measure. By your looking at things as they are, judge accordingly. Man, saints, that is a, that's a great place to be. A great place to be. Dad always told me, again, I'm going back to my history. Uh, Dad always told me, Greg, you don't get mixed up in the legal system. <laughs> 
uh, well, Dad, I don't ever plan on doing anything wrong. It, that doesn't matter. You don't ever get mixed up in it. You need to, yeah, because there's corruption, there's greed, there's all those things. Uh, the Lord's not corrupt, and his system is perfect. O oh, Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. The Lord doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't make emotional decisions. He doesn't commit crimes of passion. He doesn't take a bribe. We have nothing that he needs anyway that we could bribe him with. But the bottom line is, is God is entirely just. And he celebrates that justice. He executes that judgment. And we should delight in that. We see that justice taking place there in Genesis chapter 18. That judgment... Not only do we see the judgment in this familiar story, you know, what Sodom and Gomorrah are. Even um, the secular world has some measure of understanding, comprehension of who they are, what they were about anyway, if they, well, might not even celebrate it these days, uh, what they were guilty of. But in that action there in Sodom and Gomorrah, God doesn't only demonstrate his judgment, this judgment that we consider here, he reveals that he is doing so. He reveals, he shows that he is using that judgment. If you remember, before he went into Sodom and Gomorrah, who, well, they were going to be destroyed, those cities were, because of the foulness that was there, the sin and corruption that was there, carnality, to a measure that, well, rendered it needed to have reckoning in that moment, uh, in that time. The Lord went to Abraham, you understand? Before going into that city, he manifested himself in bodily form. And he told Abraham what his intentions were. I'm going to turn over to Genesis 18. Because he even has kind of a conversation with him. An aside, if you you read play scripts and the like, the Lord has a bit of an aside here when he speaks there. I don't have it in my notes, but I want to read that real quick. Genesis chapter 18. uh, After he appeared to him. uh, Where is it there? Abraham, okay, where is it at? For I have, okay, I'm getting there. There it is, verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? It's like he's talking to himself. I want to demonstrate to this man. I want to demonstrate to him that I am judging. I am seeing. I am witnessing. I am taking into account all of these things. God knew that Abraham was going to have his bargaining time with him here in just a moment. We'll talk about it in a second. Fifty righteous men, God. If there are fifty righteous ones, I say it kind of loud and boisterously, but Abraham was a lot more humble than that. Forgive me. Forgive me. Fifty. If there are fifty in there, would you destroy the city for fifty? The Lord honored him in this. And he wanted him to see that he was indeed honorable. He wanted him to see that I'm taking into complete, I'm I'm observing this whole thing. I know what's happening in this. And he shows different measures of his awareness of the atrocity taking place uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says that, and I love how he says that Uh, in verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He is going to obey me. I want to show him who I am. But look how just the Lord is uh, in his actions here when he does let him know. The Lord said in verse 20, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, look what he says he's going to do. Now listen, this is the Almighty God. 
We use those big words, omnipresent, omni, omniscient, omni, omnipotent, omni meaning all or entire power, omnipotent, potent power, all present, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. Omniscient, meaning he knows everything. And he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Who's he telling that to? You think he didn't know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? He's to, first off, he's telling Abraham, look, I'm going to go down personally. Man, that's tender. That's tender to me. I'm going to go down personally. You know who I am. He knew who this one was. I'm going to go down personally and I'm going to look for myself. He was letting Abraham know it. And as we sit here and we read it together in fellowship, he's letting us know that. I walked down personally. That foulness, you know, you know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, for the sake of small ears, they tried to absolutely defile the angel of the Lord. The purity that he is. They tried to defile him when he was there present. Man, there's a picture there, saints. There's a picture of the foulness that we are without him. And we reject him. And yet he put himself into that situation. Now the Lord is capable, of course, of thunder-punching every last one of them there in the, in the moment. But you know, he only rendered them blind in the moment. Only rendered them stumbling over themselves. Another representation of who they actually were spiritually. Completely lost without him. He could have just destroyed them in the, in the moment. <clears throat> Listen, he walked down there and he says, I'm going to go down and see whether they've done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And the all-present, all-knowing God showed that he sees for himself what goes on in a situation. Do you think he doesn't know exactly what's going on all the way over there? Do you think that he doesn't know exactly what's going on in the houses two blocks away where whatever injustices and atrocities are taking place. And I mean, this seems like a pretty calm little community. I've been in some homes around here. Colin's been in them. Rod's been in them. You've been in your other guys. And shoot, you don't have to be a firefighter to be inside of people's homes and recognize something is wrong going on here. Or being in your work and know that person is, is living a catastrophe of a life right now. It's going on right now. And... The Lord sees all of it. He sees all of it. He understands all of it. Uh, he doesn't take other people's words for it. He makes decisions based on evidence. In fact, he doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't delight in that sepit judgment. He doesn't act as my flesh would demand for that pound of flesh in the moment. And I'm grateful for that because he's perfectly righteous when I'm not. That third delight that we see in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. God delights in judging by what is indisputable. And what is indisputable and what is that it is what it is is righteousness, holiness, perfection. Jesus is the one perfect and righteous human being that ever walked this earth. He was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Perfect in himself. Didn't have an old creation. We have an old creation. We have a new creation. That new creation in us, sanctified to the Lord, it is sinless. 
And even it is still growing and expanding and deepening as we walk in faith. As we're looking for that victorious finish uh, to our own lives, Jesus was perfect and already there. He was, he was absolutely righteousness. And so all the Lord really has to do if he wants to examine somebody, he looks at them, he looks at their situation, he looks at their actions, he looks at whatever he wants to observe and says, do I see anything that looks like Jesus here? Has the blood of Christ washed this person? Well, then that puts them in this category. If not, he looks over here. What are your works? And if the blood of Christ hasn't washed that person, then their works have been nullified. Void. The plowing, the plowing of the innocent, or of the sinful. The plowing of the wicked. However he presents it there. Sometimes my mind goes to New King James. Sometimes it goes to King James. And I get them all botched up. But the simple things of the ones without the Lord are sin. I do believe that there are varying depths of sin, varying measures of sin, varying greatness of sin. If you want to go, you can look and see how the Lord speaks of greater sin. But the fact remains that there's not righteousness there if the Lord Jesus isn't there. It's a very simple, very finite guideline. He's a standard. When he doesn't see that, when the Lord doesn't see that, when he sees for himself and he recognizes there isn't righteousness here, then he deals with it entirely righteously. He deals with it accordingly. It's what he does, and that's what he was telling Abraham. That's what he's telling us for our situation today. Abraham needed reassurance when he was considering Lot, his nephew, being down there in that vile city. He needed reassurance in the moment. And he told the Lord in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He kind of just puts it out there. And the question, of course, is, well, did he do right? Abraham then bargained down. Fifty. Fifty fifty righteous ones. Uh, You wouldn't kill the city. You wouldn't destroy the city for the sake of 50 righteous, would you? No, I wouldn't. Then he goes down. I think he steps down to 45 and then to 40 and then to 30. And he makes it all the way down. For 10 righteous. For 10. One more time. Let me just ask you. For 10. For 10 righteous. Would you destroy the city? And he says, for 10 righteous, I will not destroy the city. And I'm going to speak for the Lord because indeed, far be it from me. To do unrighteously. To slay the righteous with the wicked. Indeed, I shall do right, is what the Lord was telling him. I shall do right. For ten, I won't destroy it. Four came out of the city. Right? Four of them came out. Lot, his wife, and two daughters. His sons-in-law thought he was joking, laughed. Lot, even, even though he came out, what did he do first? Lingered. Lingered there in that foul city. His wife came out with him. What did she do? When the fire and brimstone started coming down, she turned back to look. Four came out. One lingered, one turned back. There weren't anywhere close to ten. Not 50% of ten. Yes, the Lord is going to do righteously. Yes, the Lord saw and He assessed and He looked and He recognized everything that was there. And He says, the righteous thing to do. My perfect kind, just thing to do is to render sepit upon this place and to save you all, remove you from this. Far be it for me to destroy the righteous, he said. 
But those who choose to defile themselves, those who would defile God's children, those who would go ahead and defile God himself, who choose to do those things, they will be dealt with by the righteous God. They will be dealt with in righteousness because God sees for himself. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start winding this down this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28. The writer of Hebrews says there, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's how it was under the law. You could have these two that identified and you had to have corroboration. Couldn't just be one versus one. Two or three would come in and you would have corroborating of those accusations. Of how much worse punishment, he says in verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. How much worse do you suppose the punishment is worthy of that one? For we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Saints, he will repay. There will be punishment when the Lord determines it's righteous to punish. There will be a reckoning. Praise the Lord, it's not going to be based on what moves me, what gives me satisfaction. Praise the Lord that the reckoning and the punishment and the judgment is going to be based on what God sees. I don't have it in my notes, but I was thinking to myself, one of the stories that really moves me uh, in my feels is... Stephen, right? I don't preach Stephen very often because I don't get through it. <laughs> I just don't, man. I mean, it, 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 I aspire to be like Stephen, right? He preaches this immense, verbose sermon to these ones. And they literally plug up their ears, gnash their teeth, and they go and they stone him to death. And I think to myself in my flesh, and I thought it a number of times, I, again, I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't want to go through all of that. But I thought to myself a number of times, you know, that's one of those times where, like Samson, like Absalom and David, where I would have wanted my pound of flesh. And if I would have seen that in my own self, standing there, seeing that man get stoned after presenting salvation, and then them gnashing their teeth and all that, and him daring, uh, him daring to say, oh, forgive them, right? So Christ-like. And they continued to pummel him. Man, I would have smeared all of them if I'd had the power of God. And the flesh that I have, I would have destroyed all of them. And all of them that would stand by and watch. And if you remember who was standing by and watching, guarding the coats because he consented, I'd have smoked Saul of Tarsus if it had been left to me. And we wouldn't have Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians. We wouldn't have, you know what I mean. The Lord would have found a way to give me and to give you the message that we needed. But it wouldn't have come, well it wouldn't have come from the Apostle Paul if I'd had my way. Aren't you grateful the Lord has his way? Aren't you grateful? He sees with his own eyes. He doesn't take my word for it. Lord, where are you? Do you see what's going on here? 
yes, I see. And the judge of all the earth is going to do right. Oh, Lord, correct me and all people. But with justice, with your seeing, with your foresight, with your hindsight, with your eternal sight, searching the hearts of all. Jeremiah got it right in Jeremiah 10, 24. Correct me and everyone, but with justice, not in your anger, but in righteousness. Saints, there are going to be times... When we see things that are just difficult for us to stomach, we see different things that people are doing to one another, we see different things that God allows to come into our lives, there are going to be times when we're going to just want to just see justice and reckoning now. I need satisfaction for this moment. There will also be other times when we might want leniency. Oh, Lord, make an exception for this one. I love this one. I love this one. My family, my friend, my coworker, they're better than you they're better than than you would than you would think, you know. They're, God doesn't take our word for it, praise the Lord. He sees the heart. He sees the situation. He has, so to speak, walked into the very center of it himself. Been attempted to be defiled by different ones. And he does what's right, and he does what's good. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And we can be firm in saying, absolutely he shall. In loving kindness, patient, long-suffering, repetitious warning on his part. In mispat judgment, that determining based on what he sees, a verdict based only on fact, only on what he knows to be so. And always offering the righteousness of Christ to whomever. And judging only by the righteousness of Christ who is only offered to everyone and anyone. Oh my goodness. Yes. Where is God? He's right here in the middle of everything. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Absolutely he will. And you can and should know this, understand this, and glory in this child of God. Take peace in knowing he's right in the midst of all of these things. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Certainly there are times when we do so troubled and anxious, Father, and distraught. There need be no time, Father, that we have these things. We do not need to be distraught by things, Father. We need not wonder where you are because you tell us, Lord, you have seen You have entered in, Father. Your hand is upon all things. All we need to do is trust, have faith, know and understand this truth, Lord, and delight in knowing that the God of all the earth, the righteous judge, will always do right. Help us to be assured in this. Help us to put aside our fears. Help us to put aside our anger, Lord. Help us to put aside our weakness, Father. And trust in your strength, your loving kindness, your good judgment, and Lord, your righteousness. Thank you for offering that to me and everybody here. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you this morning. Go before us now, I ask, in the name of your Son and our beloved Jesus. Amen.